everyone and welcome to Full Circle, your cultural affairs radio program produced by members of the First Voice Apprenticeship Program. We're your hosts tonight, Darlene Pagano and Sharon Peterson. This show is written, produced, and engineered in Huchin, occupied Ohlone territory, aka the East Bay Area. Well, a time for decision is upon us. California's 2018 primary election day is Tuesday, June 5th. On tonight's show, we'll learn about about California's top two primary process, hear about voter suppression and what can be done to stop it. We celebrate the influx of women candidates in the 2018 state primaries and upcoming midterm elections. And we talk about the importance of voting, even, perhaps especially, in our deeply flawed system. All that tonight on Full Circle. Stay with us. Hello, everyone, and again, welcome to Full Circle on KPFA. Our guests tonight come from activist voting rights organizations, Organizing for Action, the League of Women Voters, and Oakland Rising. The first topic we want to explore tonight is how we will vote. California's primary elections are fairly unusual. Only four states use some form of what is known as a top two primary system. And those are California, Nebraska, Washington, and Louisiana. With us tonight is Preston Jordan, Action Director from the League of Women Voters, the Berkeley-Albany-Emeryville chapter. Thanks for taking us through this change in California voting, Preston. Happy to be here. Thanks for asking me to come. Okay. If listeners have not voted in a primary election since 2010 or are newer voters, they may have never seen this type of vote choice. So, Preston, can you please give us a quick history and maybe a bit of a tutorial on top two voting? Sure, maybe it's best to start with the mechanics, um, because as you say, a lot of voters might not have faced a ballot of this type of primary before. It's sometimes called a jungle primary because all the candidates from all parties will appear on your ballot, not just candidates from your party if you are registered with a party. And if you are not registered with any party, you will still still see all the candidates of all the parties. Um, There is actually a fairly high error rate for voters in casting votes in this type of election, um, probably because some voters hear top two and they think, oh, I'm supposed to mark the top two candidates that I prefer, when in fact, you're only supposed to mark one candidate that you prefer. The top two comes from the two candidates who receive the most votes are the ones that will actually go on to the general election in November. And so at that election, only those two candidates' names will appear And you will have a chance to vote again for one of those two candidates, whether they were one of the candidates you voted for in this upcoming primary or not. Um, As you mentioned, the origin of this was a measure that was on the ballot in 2010. So all of us who were in California and voting at the time as a group 
passed this. Um, it was actually a constitutional amendment, and it was put on the ballot at that time as a deal between a senator and the rest of the Senate and the governor. And the deal was that that senator would vote for the budget for that year if there was an agreement amongst the others to put this constitutional amendment on the ballot. Um, and the deal was struck, the budget was passed, this one on the ballot, and the voters passed it. Now, at that time, if I recall correctly, it took two-thirds of a two-thirds vote of the Senate and the Assembly to pass the ballot, and we've since done a, I mean, I'm sorry, to pass the budget, and we've since done away with that. So now it's a simple majority. But back in those days, it was very hard to get a budget passed, um, so deals like this were more common, and it was also very common that it would go months and months beyond the deadline to actually get a budget in place. Um, so that's a little bit of the history of top two and how you vote in top two. Um, now maybe some of the, the effects the top two has. So one of the effects is that let's say you're in a district that is predominantly party B and I'm not, I'm going to use party A and party B in part because of legal women voters is nonpartisan and in part because when actual party names are used in this discussion, uh, the utility of voting methods is often seen through the lens of, well, will this benefit my party or not, as opposed to rather, will this method benefit our society or not? So let's say you're in a district that is majority party B, and you are faced with one of these primaries. There have been instances where, say, six candidates for Party B run and only two candidates for Party A run. Party A has minority support in the district, but because so many candidates from Party B run, it splits the votes of the Party B supporters in the community with the result that the two candidates from Party A go on to the general election and there is no Party B candidate in November. This obviously leads to very odd outcomes. So you can have a representative of a district that's from party A, even though the district is majority party B. So that's one what we could call pathology of top two. Um, there's also, I was just reading today in the, the gubernatorial election, that another um, strategy that is being pursued is for a front-running candidate to seek to control who their opponent will be in the general election. And this is done by running campaign ads that ostensibly are in opposition to a particular candidate, but in effect are actually signaling to voters who are in that other party that that candidate is really the good candidate for them to try to boost that candidate's votes among their base. Um, with the result that the leading candidate will face that candidate who has much less hope to get elected in the general election. So a little bit complicated, but that's part of the part of the gaming that can go on um, with top two. Now, as was mentioned, I'm with the League of Women Voters, Berkeley, Albany, Emeryville. And yes, I am a man. Uh, so that sometimes elicits a bit of confusion. But since the 1970s, men have been welcomed in the League of Women Voters. And the how, how I take it as a man is the League of Women Voters keeps the flame alive of having all people be able to vote. It keeps the memory alive of our society's willingness to exclude the suffrage or exclude the vote from certain segments of society. 
And because of that, its main goal is to defend democracy is the uh, actual motto this year nationally. Um, And so I'm happy to be a part of that effort. Um, There was a conversation, I'm told, at the convention some years ago or some decades ago about changing the name. And the men at the convention said, no, this name is important historically for signaling what the values of the organization are, where the organization comes from, and what the organization's purpose is. And I'm happy to support that. Uh, The League of Voters, Berkeley, Albany, Emeryville, is about 108 years old. Um, The National League of Women Voters is almost a century old. And for voting information, I would encourage you uh, to go to votersedge.org. And you can type in your address or your zip code, and your whole ballot will come up with links to information from all the candidates if they've uh, deemed to submit information, as well as information on all the ballot measures and support. There's an associated organization called Maplite, which will tell you all the which will tell you all the uh, information about who is donating what to which campaigns. Thank you very much. Thank you, Preston. That was Preston Jordan, Jordan, Action Director for the League of Women Voters, Berkeley, Albany, Emeryville chapter. Listeners can go to the links that we post for the show at kpfaapprentice.org for the League's contact information and for links to all the organizations featured on this show. Now, let's take a short musical break, a trip back to the women's suffrage movement that finally brought women the right to vote in 1920. And following that, we'll take a look at the women's wave in the election of 2018. Bring the good old bugle, boys, we'll sing another song. Sing it with a spirit that shall start the cause along. Sing it as we ought to sing it cheerily and strong. Giving the ballot to the mothers. Hurrah, hurrah, we bring the jubilee. Hurrah, hurrah, the homes shall be free. So we'll sing the chorus from the mountains to the sea. Giving the ballot to the mothers. Dear old banner boys and fling it to the wind Mother, wife and daughter let it shelter and defend Equal rights our motto is we're loyal to the end Giving the ballot to the mothers Hurrah, hurrah, we bring the jubilee Hurrah, hurrah, the homes shall be free So we'll sing the chorus from the mountains to the sea Giving the ballot to the mothers. We've been listening to Give the Ballot to the Mothers, a 19th century suffrage anthem recorded in 1958 by Elizabeth Knight. First, a shout out to the voters in Ireland who who last week overturned their 35-year-old Constitutional Amendment 8, which had created a national ban on abortion. Even in these harsh times, progress still happens if we, the people everywhere, make it happen. Meanwhile, here at home, unprecedented numbers of women are on the ballot in local, state, and congressional elections. On Tuesday, the Center for American Women in Politics at Rutgers issued a report on women who are candidates, or likely candidates, in the 2018 primaries. As of Tuesday, 387 women are running for the U.S. House of Representatives, plus four incumbents and one challenger from American Samoa, 
Guam, the District of Columbia, and the U.S. Virgin Islands, who are running for non-voting delegate seats in the House. The last record was 2012, when 298 women ran for the House. For U.S. Senate, 48 women are currently running. 216's record number was 40. The wave took a long time coming, but it's here and it's growing. It took a 72-year movement, at least two generations for women to gain even the right to vote. The National American Women's Suffrage Association, the National Association of Colored Women, New Mexico Suffrage League, hundreds of local suffrage clubs for women. We stand on their shoulders and benefit from their unwavering belief in universal suffrage. But even though the vote for women was won in 1920, many, if not most women of color as well as men of color, did not have access to the vote until the passage of the Voting Rights Act of 1965. But in 2013, the Supreme Court invalidated parts of that act. Voter suppression is again on the rise. Turning out to vote is a continuation of the struggle to make sure persons can vote, all persons, and to have all votes count. It is a foundational action just one of many actions needed in the fight for a democratic society. Thank you, uh, Sharon. And that is a great segue into our next piece, which is on voter suppression. This is a topic that gets a great amount of coverage here on KPFA, and I hope it's a topic that listeners follow. The range of human creativity in rigging the system against the interests of the many, we the 99%, is as astounding is an astounding reminder here of uh, some of these schemes. Here's a short piece from Inequality Media uh, with Robert Reich to outline some. A crowning achievement of the historic March on Washington, where Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. gave his I Have a Dream speech, was pushing through the landmark Voting Rights Act of 1965. Recognizing the history of racist attempts to prevent black people from voting, that federal law forced a number of southern states to adhere to federal guidelines allowing citizens access to the polls. But in 2013, the Supreme Court effectively gutted many of these protections. As a result, states are finding new ways to stop more and more people, especially African Americans and other likely Democratic voters, from reaching the polls. Several states are requiring government-issued photo IDs, like driver's licenses, to vote, even though there's no evidence of the voter fraud this is supposed to prevent. But there's plenty of evidence that these ID measures depress voting, especially among communities of color, young voters, and lower-income Americans. Alabama, after acquiring photo IDs, has practically closed driver's license offices in counties with large percentages of black voters. Other states are reducing opportunities for early voting. And several state legislatures, not just in the South, are gerrymandering districts to reduce the political power of people of color and Democrats, and thereby guarantee Republican control in Congress. Here's one way they do it. Now, here are 16 black dots and 12 white squares. If districts were not gerrymandered, and three out of four would have black dot majorities. But 
But after gerrymandering, three out of four have white square majorities. We need to move to the next stage of voting rights, a new Voting Rights Act that renews the law that was effectively repealed by the conservative activists on the Supreme Court and also sets minimum national standards, providing automatic voter registration when people get driver's licenses, allowing at least two weeks of early voting and taking districting away from the politicians and putting it under independent commissions. Voting rights are too important to be left to partisan politics. We must not allow anyone's votes to be taken away. Welcome back to Full Circle on 94.1 KPFA. You just heard a brief summary of some of the tactics currently in play to suppress voter turnout in elections at all levels all across the country. And this was from a video many will have uh, seen, many of you, on Facebook. It's from Robert Reich and Inequality Media. And how will voter suppression be beat back? One obvious way will be by massive turnout to each and every election. And to keep the turnout going by bringing in the younger voter. Working on that turnout, we have with us Lanisha Butler, youth organizer for Oakland Rising. Oakland Rising educates and mobilizes voters in Oakland to make change. She's here to share the work of Oakland Rising and to inspire all of us to action. Lanisha, please tell us a little bit about Oakland Rising. Sure. So um, we work to build progressive political power um, by flexing people power, aligning like-minded forces, and also leading with values. Um, Our vision is to dismantle racial, economic, political, environmental, and educational inequalities that have created barriers between us. And actually, I just came on as a youth organizer um, this past year um, because Oakland Rising doesn't have a history of working with young voters. So um, we are partnering with a statewide network called White Vote that's actually increasing the youth turnout um, by basically um, bringing on um, youth fellows to run three um, Three campaigns to increase the youth turnout by um, registering them to vote, um, contacting them to follow up with them after registering them to vote and getting them to the polls. Um, And Oakland Rising's history with um, voter turnout has been 25% above the standard um, turnout when it comes to primary elections. Um, our supporter base is 25% of Oakland's um, voter base, and we reach out to people in West Oakland and East Oakland Flatlands. Um, and Vote really increases the um, youth turnout within California um, because it's a statewide network. And um, since we are youth my age, um, millennials are the most diverse and biggest population in California. We're actually urging them to vote um, and we do ter- outreach um, year round instead of just during the primary and general elections. Um, Lanisha, when you say youth, um, can you say, you know, what what the range is uh, that you're, you're particularly trying to turn out? 
Sure. So um, now that 16 and 17 year olds can pre-register to vote, we're registering or pre-registering 16 to 30 year olds, but we're um, following up with 18 to 30 year olds um, around election time. Thank you. Uh, now, Lanisha, do you have a specific approach to activate the, the younger voter? Yes, I do. I actually um, started from scratch since Oakland Rising doesn't have a history of working with high schools and community colleges or um, state colleges. Um, I used my own um, network to reach out to high school teachers and also professors so that I can go into their classrooms to um, do 30 to 45 minute presentations on why voting matters, uh, why our ancestors um, actually fought for the right to vote and how that has impacted um, our victories today and also letting them know that our vote counts and if it didn't um, then there would no there would be no reason why our ancestors were actually dying to um, exercise their right to vote so um, within this presentation I actually give um, historical context um, of our ancestors um, victories and also suffrage um and then i have them actually practice the literacy test um and it's a version from louisiana that was brought to my attention um they're still available um around although there's um they're illegal to practice but um they're able to be printed out so that students could actually practice them to see what it was like to be denied the right to vote just for failing a test or just for getting um er leaving eraser marks on the test or actually making noise while taking the test so um I, we kind of practice it and then they're really really intrigued by intrigued by um what the feeling is like to take the test and once i let them know that this is illegal now and now we have the right to vote and we can actually vote from home they're like really really interested um by the end of the presentation and that's the goal um and then also i follow up with them um on a personal level just to be a mentor because i know how it is as a youth um transitioning from high school to college or even like um i let them know i'm available to help them exercise their right to vote and not just registering them to vote at the time thank you those old uh, those old tests were designed to force people to fail um you you could not pass them it had nothing to do with literacy mm -hmm. um, so uh, what brought you into this you mentioned the ancestors and i think that's a wonderful take going back to history going to personal history as well as national exactly um what does uh, what brought you to uh this sort of approach so um i have a colleague that is from one of um the community organizations that is also partnering with white vote and we did a presentation at uc davis for a program to bring youth up um to the campus to go through um, a conference around youth organizing and she introduced the test to me because she has used it previously and I've never actually um, looked at the test or even taken it before um, she introduced 
me to it so i actually didn't even know that they're still available to look at or to print out um so it was it was really nice that she shared that um because i wanted to make sure that youth had an opportunity to um become engaged not only to be presented to about why voting uh matters but to also be engaged um so that was really um I thought it was a good idea to actually have them practice the test so that they can know that it wasn't a game. Like our suffrage was real. And um, even though they may not learn it in their classrooms, I wanted to have them um, practice something that um, that um, may be new to them and, or um, that they don't even know about. A lot of students were really oblivious to... Um, literacy tests like a lot of them didn't know that our ancestors had to take them a lot of them didn't know that we had poll taxes a lot of a lot of them didn't know that our ancestors had to own property in order to vote so it was just a lot of things that they don't learn in their classrooms that I was able to teach them throughout my presentation which is really really um, powerful for me um, because I know that Sometimes our education only teaches us what they want us to know, but when it comes to community organizers, we have to get out information that wouldn't normally be t- taught in our schools, and um, that's why a lot of youth organi- a lot of organizations around um, now, so that we can have them continue to learn beyond their education. Thank you, and uh, oh, briefly, uh, do you also train youth to go out and get their friends out to the polls? I do, actually. So um, last year, it was really, really difficult because I was actually going into the high schools alone. I was making these presentations um, as a, the only staff represent, uh, representative of Oakland Rising. And I was able to um, register 353 um, young folks, ages 16 to 30. Um, but this year, I'm actually passing... Um, passing on responsibilities to youth to have them register their own um, peers so that I won't have to um, continue to do that myself, but I wanted to spread the wisdom and train them to do them. Um, And it's been really, really effective. um, And I've also heard of uh, other organizations doing the same thing. So I was like, okay, let me try this. And now that we were able to give funding to have a lot of youth, uh, well, to have a few youth to register their peers, it was really, really effective because they're like, okay, I not only want this money, but I'm really, really excited to register my peers because it lets me, it lets other folks know that I know something and that I'm involved within um, politics in general. And a lot of youth don't get that opportunity to do so. Great. Thank you, Lanisha. And we so appreciate the dedication of Oakland Rising to the youth of our community. To let listeners know, we will be opening the phone lines in about 10 minutes so that you can share your thoughts on the upcoming primary election or ask a question of any of our guests like the fabulous Lanisha here in the studio with us. The lines are not open now. They'll be open in about 10 minutes, so don't call now. We especially want to encourage women to call in. It's a continuous mystery here at KPFA why the phone lines are almost always populated with male callers and so infrequently by women. So a special invitation, women in the listening audience, please note that we do want to hear from you. And now uh, let's uh, speak with Jacqueline Noguera. 
and Carmen Murray from the National Network Organizing for Action. Jacqueline and Carmen, welcome to Full Circle. Thank you. Thanks so much for, uh, for inviting us. We're happy to be here. So, uh, Jacqueline or Carmen, uh, please give us a little taste of the history and the work of Organizing for Action. Um, Organizing for Action started as Obama for America in 2007. And it successfully uh, elected our first African-American president um, and went on in the second election to become Organizing for America when it was uh, combined with the Democratic Party. After uh, Obama's second election... There was no more need for the organization as an, an electoral campaign, so it became a 501c4, and we became organizing for action to give our president the support he needed with a recalcitrant Congress who would not put anything forward in terms of the issues he cared deeply about. So we worked on many of the issues behind the scene. Um, after he left office... Um, we are now, we were very um, careful not to get into anything very political during the time he was in office, though we could have. Um, it, it is now changing since he's been out of office and we're opening things up. This will be our first year where we will actual, actually get involved with Get Out the Vote and uh, supporting candidates after the primaries. Jack? Well, uh, my background with OFA started back in New York City. I'm a recent transplant from the East Coast, so I was able to work as a field organizer in the first Obama campaign in uh, in New York City, Philadelphia, and in Ohio. Um, when I moved out here, it just seemed like, uh, I, you know, I missed the old gang. I missed the, missed the alumni, so I got back involved and um, really happy to, to, to be working with OFA again. Um, the primary thing we're involved in right now, um, OFA has chosen to focus as its mission on training to train um, a, um, a participatory democracy, which is what it's, it's predica- our, our democracy is predicated on is, a, is an enlightened civic uh, citizenship. And... Um, so we do a lot of training. We do a lot of training to um, inspire progressive leaders, and it's not necessarily just people who will work with OFA. Many of our trainees have gone out to start other organizations or to work in other organizations. Um, one of the uh, so that being said, um, one of the. Um, programs that we're working on that I'm most excited about right now has to do with our teaming up with um, Eric Holder and President Ob- uh, former President Obama with the National Democratic Redistricting Committee. And um, they are working on those areas of, supp- of voter suppression that have been happening in Ohio, Arizona, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, um, and they're taking things to court. They're oh, okay. they are taking um, these issues to court, and many of the cases have been um, have been uh, sol- have been resolved in our favor. So that 
that is one aspect of um, of, the, of the the current election that's important. And Jack, perhaps you can talk about Team Eighteen. Sure. Uh, Team 18 is uh, OFA's uh, new uh, teaching program that is uh, launching this month. Um, key dates for uh, for the program are uh, Sunday, June 10th, um, when we invite everyone who's interested in becoming a community organizer to visit our, s- our website at OFA.us and sign up. The program is... Um, is seeking volunteer leaders to join uh, this leadership program. So if you're passionate about um, community organizing, if you're passionate about what's going on in your community, um, we will be uh, hosting this uh, leadership development calls every Thursday night um, through the midterms uh, where uh, participants will be able to receive uh, some really key campaigning um, uh, tactics uh, lessons on um, conflict resolution, meeting facilitation, how to be a good trainer, how to be a good mentor, um, relationship organizing, and having effective conversations and other tactics for uh, get out the vote. How do people come into your training programs? Um, who qualifies? OFA is pretty open about... Um, well, this particular team leadership, um, they can apply online. Anyone can apply, and they will be signed up for a one-on-one with one of the leaders from Chicago who will um, talk to them to see if they are really in the right program for them. Jack? Yeah, the ultimate goal of the program is to be able to work with our national OFA community and um, be able to teach these key leadership skills um, in order for those folks to work with their own community members in the key local campaigns that are coming up in uh, 2018. The interesting part of this is this is the first time and we're excited about it. This whole program is designed to support the political campaigns when it comes to get out the vote. In other words, our first uh, task would be to check with the um, political organizers who have set up uh, districts and work with them to support their districts or to work in areas that haven't had one set up. And what what tw- how do you vet the candidates that you all will be supporting, uh, which the organization will be supporting? Um. A one-on-one is a conversation that you have with someone. OFA's mantra is respect, empower, and include. And we work on an assumption of goodwill. In other words, if we talk to somebody who's called in and we have a conversation that sounds as though they're passionate and interested in, in moving forward, we will train them. Often... If there is a mistake, you'll find it out during the training. I have had a few of those. Um, but in general, you, you can, there's an instinct you have about working with somebody, about whether they're very sincere about what they're doing. And besides which, they'd be wasting their time if they weren't. <laughs> so again, if you're interested in the program, um, we urge you to uh, visit our website at ofa.us. Um, we're asking folks that do apply for the program that to be able to commit to five to ten hours per week 
and these um, these calls will be uh, on Thursday nights. Um, but you can also watch a recording of the uh, of the calls later if you if you need to catch up. Um, and you know the ultimate goal is is to be able to to teach and empower um, people around the country um, about their right as American citizens to uh, be a part of the political process. Thank you, Carmen and Jacqueline. Uh, this is, uh, they're reporting out from Organizing for Action. Um, O-A? O-F-A. O-F-A, thank right. you. I'm not that great with acronyms. <laughs> Uh, so, listeners, do you have your pencils? We're going to be opening the phone lines now for callers. You can call the on-air studio, 510-848-4425, or 1-800-958-9008 if you have any questions for our guests. Those are Preston Jordan from the League of Women Voters, Lanisha Butler of Oakland Rising, Jacqueline Nogueiro and Carmen Murray from Organizing for Action. Call 1-800-958-9008. Let us know what excites you about this primary race. And what is it that's going to turn you out to vote? Let us know. Call 510-848-4425. And while you're reaching for your phones, here's a bit of music. was the British group Jesus Jones with their American hit Right Here, Right Now. Now to our first caller. We have Isabel on the line. Yes, hi. Well, a candidate that 
excites me is Javanka Beckles, who's running for the 15th Assembly District of California. And what excites me about Javanka uh, and this whole uh, race is that we have an opportunity to get a true progressive social justice and economic justice candidate uh, to work for us in California. She's not just a person of color. She's not just a woman. She's not just a corporate-free candidate. She's not just someone with real local political experience uh, serving on the Richmond City Council. She's got it all. And this is our opportunity to go forward with someone who is truly progressive, not accepting any corporate money, and you're not getting any fancy mailers from Jovanka. You're getting folks going door to door to uh, talk to you about her campaign. And I think if you uh, check out her website and her stands, you will see that she's somebody who is not going to give in and somebody who is really going to fight for all the people of California. Thank you, Isabel. Your your excitement (laughs) comes through loud and clear. Oh, I'm very excited. Thank you very much. Preston? Yeah, so I think this is a very interesting race in terms of the top two um, primary system because there are so many candidates. I believe there's twelve or th- I believe there's twelve or thirteen candidates, if I recall correctly. And so, because the two candidates who receive the most votes, with voters each casting one vote, will go forward to the primary, the two candidates that go forward to the primary could have a very, very small percentage support among the electorate. Um, And so this goes to the League of Women Voters since, I believe, about 2000 has supported um, instant runoff voting for all single-seat offices so that there's one election and the voters go to the the polls for that one election and rank all the candidates. And then a candidate who has majority support will win. Under the top two system, it's possible that the two candidates that go forward, neither of them has majority support at this time. Um, and there might be some candidate who is supported by a majority, um, maybe not as a first choice, but as a second choice, and they won't make it into the general election. Um, the advantage of rank, uh, instant runoff voting um, in terms of it only requiring one election is that is a much higher turnout election in the general election. There are predictions that this primary election will have among the lowest turnout of any primary election in California's history, um, possibly even below 20%. And so you can get candidates winning who really have a very, very small margin of support among our society as a whole. Mm, thanks for that. Uh, de- uh, thanks for the precision of that answer. Uh, I do want to remind folks that we are hoping that women will be calling in tonight as well as our avid male callers uh, and that number again is 510-848-4425 the uh, online on-air studio of KPFA our next caller is Dennis and you're calling in with a question Dennis hi there uh, I'm sorry I am another male caller but I'll, uh, <laughs> I'll try to make it less painful for you're you. forgiven <laughs> thank you so much 
So I'm, I'm kind of curious. More, it's, it's not as uh, as precise and, and sort of locally oriented a question as, as the previous couple of callers have had. But I'm curious uh, how the happenings in Washington, in particular in the White House, have kind of changed, if, if at all, the nature of the work that you do uh, in terms of, of people kind of potentially being more willing to step up to the plate because they're seeing what's what's actually happening with uh, some choices that they they helped happen they help make happen in in Washington. Just curious if that's affected the work that uh, that uh, Jacqueline and Carmen are doing. Um, well, I uh, I would say that uh, there's definitely a interest. Um, I would say that there is actually a lot of interest in uh, in uh, stepping up to the plate, as you say. And uh, uh, people do want to get involved. Obviously, California is a uh, blue state. So, um, yeah, I, I just believe that uh, um, in this administration, um, people feel much more um, encouraged to uh, to participate. Carmen, would you say the same? Um, yes, and I'm I'm, tr- I'm trying to think of numbers. I know we can just see in terms of the organizations that have blossomed since the last election with indivisible swing less sister districts flip blue, uh, and they keep on coming out. And the thing that is exciting to me is we had a big conference in the city called Rock the Congress and it was dest- it was designed to bring these progressive groups together to be collaborative and cooperative and supportive. And that's the part I'm uh, really focused on. Excellent. Um, you uh, Lanisha, you mentioned that you are new, newly brought on for Oakland Rising. How can, can you talk a little bit about their um, expansion? Sure. So, I actually um, volunteered with one of Oakland Rising's campaigns in 2016, um, and I was doing research with a professor at UC Santa Cruz. Um, I was int- attending there, and during. Um, my the end of my junior year i think it was um i was like really really interested in um getting to know what Oakland Rising was doing. I was actually assigned to do participant observatory research um, on Oakland Rising because I'm from Oakland, born and raised, and um, she also hired um, about five to six other um, research assistants to um, be assigned to do research on other organizations in other cities. So, um, Fast forward to graduation, um, I actually applied to the fellowship um, through Vote, but um, uh, I was assigned to work with Oakland Rising, and it was amazing because I was able to really uh, get my feet wet um, in what I wanted to do after graduation, and um, now that I'm a full-time staff, um, I now see what it's like to actually run a campaign. So um, now that 
I've actually worked with youth, with youth who want to actually make a change for our community um, because of so many um, federal, statewide attacks. Um, it's like really, really powerful to see how many people are actually getting involved now um, because of um, our circumstances and also because um, they realize it's really important. And our work um, through Vote has really impacted a lot of folks um, throughout the state. Um, and it shows because of like reports that were written and I'm actually one of the authors of one of the reports um, so the word is getting out there um, and organizing is becoming a really really big popular thing um, for youth now um, so um, it's really really great to see it expanding also uh, why vote what already had a partnership uh, with Oakland Rising but now uh, why vote was really curious to see how youth themselves can actually be um can impact other youth to do the same thank you thank you our next caller is named kazoo and not to put you on the spot but he wants to speak to you lanisha okay go ahead kazoo hey um lanisha i just wanted to say congratulations on the great work you're doing it's really inspiring and uh keep it up if there's any way that we can help um, I'm sure my folks would be interested in helping. Thanks. Yeah. So um, we're actually looking for volunteers for um, for texting to get out the vote. Um, and we're contacting people who we've previously um, spoke with over the phone to let them know that they need to get to the polls. And also we'll be doing a lot of youth work um, in the summer and the fall. So you can definitely follow up with us um, at oaklandrising.org. Uh, we have a lot of blog posts around what we do. Um, and you can learn more about how to get involved. Thanks, Kazoo. Uh, congratulations are always encouraged. Um, Lanisha, I'm going to also put you on the spot. This, this one you could turn down completely, uh, but we have an inquiry that has come in, which is, how old are you? <laughs> I'm 23. All right. <laughs> Hope that solves that curiosity for that caller. <laughs> All right. Next up, we have Vilma, who has a question. Hello. Hello, Vilma. Go right ahead. Hi, I can't really hear, but I can think that I can hear some... I hope you guys can hear me. Yes, we can. What's your question? Oh, perfect. Hi. Um, so I was asking about the Alameda County DA's race and if people were knowing what was going on there because there's a wonderful woman who's challenging the current DA, Nancy O'Malley, and her name is Pamela Price. And I'm wondering if people knew about her and her amazing life story. She was in foster care and uh, was actually in the juvenile justice system and ended up graduating from Yale College and UC Berkeley School of Law. And one of her platforms is to end mass incarceration. So I'm wondering if you guys were highlighting some of the local races like the Alameda County DA. Well, um, well, Vilma, we are not discussing uh, the positions or the uh, viability of any um, uh, candidates because that's not our uh, ability to do so as a radio station. But if you have an enthusiastic uh, comment to make, as you just did, we're happy to um, have you do that over the airwaves. Okay. Were, were you able to hear me? Yeah. Okay. 
So I'm glad that you have researched and are committed to a candidate of your choice uh, and will be turning out for the primary election. I definitely am. And if people want to get more information about her, there's uh, www.pricefordea.com. Lots of good info about her. All right. You are prepared. Thanks. Uh, thank you, Vilma. Next up, we will have Warren. He has a question. Warren, go ahead. Okay, Warren may not still be on the line. No. Okay. Well, we have a number of questions uh, of our own. Sharon, why don't you be the quest- next questioner? <laughs> go ahead. Uh, actually, we have another caller. Well, we have 300 with an inquire, an issue. Okay. Go on, go right ahead, 300. Uh, yes. Uh, they classified my uh, statement as an issue, but I wanted to make a comment about the, this election and all elections. I want to uh, say to all the people who have been thinking on the show uh, that I'm very glad that they are taking part in the democratic process particularly uh, with the fact that we have a federal administration that is trying to destroy all of our civil rights as I speak. Uh, our, federal, our federal immigration uh, policy is now what I call uh, uh, in, an, in the ice age, which is very, very disastrous for all of us, whether we realize that or not. So I want to make the comment that I'm glad that people are discussing this election or any type of election, but I wanted to uh, state on a cautionary level that we have a tremendous amount of political corruption right here in the city of Berkeley. And our current uh, mayor is guilty apparently of election issues. And he and his associates are not very nice people who complain about those things. And that is what politicians tend to do. Once they get into power, they do not want to be accountable for what they do. And that is any politician. So it's very important to be honest while electing these people and to keep them honest. So I want to congratulate everybody for being involved in this election process because it's very good for the community as a whole. All right. You were very clear, 300. Thank you for your call. All right, Sharon, you get to be the questioner next. First, I'm going to uh, encourage, I think we have room for maybe one more caller, Uh, 510-848-4425. And I wanted to know a little bit about some of the programs that uh, League of Women Voters is uh, involved with. Absolutely, yes. I was going to um, offer the person who called in about the DA's race that is going on. Um, one of the things that the League of Women Voters does, because one of its values is to inform voters um, so that they're informed when they go to the poll, is we hold candidate forums where the candidates can receive questions about issues and state their positions on the issues. Um, and these forums usually have a very strict no crosstalk between the candidates to try to keep them civil. And there is a DA candidate forum video that's available online. Um, if you simply search on LWV, DA, Alameda County Forum, um, you can find the LWV BAE, which is Berkeley, Albany, Emeryville site, 
and the forums that are listed on that site, and there will be links to all the videos. And so there was a, um, a forum held for the DA race in the past. So you'll be able to find that along with various other forums if you're wanting to know more about the candidates. We also have um, videos of forums on measures as well. And I want to let listeners know that after the show and we archive this, we also will be putting up all the links that our guests are giving us uh, it, during the course of the show. You'll be able to go back and uh, get get all the information that you might have missed during the course of the show. Um, thank you to all of our callers. Uh, our time for open open calls is over but remember also uh, a resource that i'd like to remind people of you have in every county you have a registrar of voters and tuesday election day if you have any questions about where your polling place is any question about your voting rights, any question about getting your ballot accepted, please call the Registrar of Voters. They are staffing the phones in big numbers to make sure that everybody gets to cast their vote and that their vote will be counted. To find your Registrar of Voters, just look that up along with your county uh, name. Thank you to our guests, Preston Jordan from the League of Women Voters, Lanisha Butler of Oakland Rising, and Jacqueline Noguera and Carmen Murray from Organizing for Action. This is Full Circle on every Friday at 7 p.m. Tune in next week when our show will be about calling people, calling the police on people of color. Visit kpfaapprentice.org for our show archive and links to all that we've covered here tonight. Our executive producer is Miss M. Our technical, technical director is Frank Sterling. Joy Moore is our production consultant. We have been your hosts this evening, Darlene Pagano and Sharon Peterson. Thanks to fellow apprentices Kendall Krako on the board and our tech assists Stevie G and Aria M, also from Group 43. Stay tuned now for La Onda Bajita.